Hey there, everyone. This is Jeff Benjamin along with Bruce Kelly for the Investment News Podcast. Another week coming at you. Uh, we are a little bit behind schedule this week because of the storm that came up the East Coast and knocked out some power, especially for our our hardy producer, Steve Lamb, who has been uh, working from a treehouse with a uh, battery-operated weather radio, and I think he has a half a can of Spam left to uh, to ride out the storm. He's still without power, but I think he's working from his in-law's house. Uh, Bruce? He's got the kids on the bicycle, you know, running, you know, pumping the bicycle to get, keep the battery Yeah, he's going. innovative. I mean, he's innovative, and he believes in, that children should work hard if they expect to, uh, you know, be fed and sheltered. Yes, and That's good for him. Yes. He's hardcore. Mm-hmm. He's old school. So, uh... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so Bruce, uh, how you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, we're good. Um, it's funny, you know. I was just speaking with somebody uh, from Morgan Stanley who was out on Long Island, and they were having problems all week too. Today's the tenth. I've Monday the tenth. This is supposed to go live on Wednesday the twelfth, I believe. So we're about two days behind in terms of production. So Steve is in Brooklyn. He had a whole mess of problems. People on Long Island had a whole mess of problems, but I'm in northern Manhattan and nothing, my lights didn't even flicker during the storm. So I was very lucky to touch wood. All right. Well, good for you, good for us, and uh, hopefully Steve eventually finds electricity. Yes. Uh, in the meantime, let's uh, let's dive into our first topic. Bruce, I understand you have a lot to say about LPL's new, uh, I guess you were saying they dangled a fat, juicy new pork chop. For employee advisors, that not only makes me hungry, but it makes me interested. What's going on there? Well, this is a section we like to call broker pay. Mm -hmm. And we want to talk about how registered reps and brokers and financial advisors are all compensated. That seems to generate a tremendous amount of interest whenever we do those kinds of stories. People want to know what kind of money they're going to be making. Yes. And um, I use the metaphor or image of the pork chop because... We all love pork chops. Uh, those of us who are carnivores, <laughs> talk to my daughter about that, and uh, she's going through the vegetarian stage. And um, but those of us who who like to eat meat and like to get well paid uh, like a nice juicy pork chop. And so, as you know, for years LPL has been the biggest firm when it comes to independent contractors, right? Yep. Paying their yep. advisors and as independent contractor advisors and and investment advisor reps. Now they started to dip their big toe or their foot, as it is, into the employee side of the business. And that's the wirehouse guys and um, some of the regional firms and and the like. And uh, so they have different business models. And to tempt those employee brokers, advisors from, uh, say, a Wells Fargo or a UBS or a Merrill Lynch, they are really chasing them with a top dollar offer for them to move over to uh, LPL, which is a risk because, you know, they've never done this before. Mm-hmm. Now, other independent brokers like a Raymond James and an Ameriprise, they do have independent brokers, which they pay usually 80 cents on the dollar for every for every dollar of revenue you generate. And they also have employee brokers, and those guys get paid typically – between 35 and 45 cents for every dollar of revenue that they generate. So we did a little back of the envelope math based on what LPL told us. 
<clears throat> which is always interesting and, and perhaps a little dangerous. And it seems like if you're like a million dollar producer at one of these uh, wirehouse firms like a Morgan Stanley or a Wells Fargo, and if you moved your book of business over to LPL, you could get a significant raise. You know, you could go from making 400, from generating around $450,000 a year in uh, fees and commissions that you take home and you're taxed on, of course, as a as an employee. Uh-huh. And you can add uh, up to, you know, a third to that. You could add another hundred or $200,000 under the LPL pay model. So LPL has really been mm-hmm. attracting independent brokers now for the past couple of years by paying them top dollar to move their assets onto their RIA custody platform. And now they're doing something similar by paying top dollar to these, promising to pay top dollar to these employee brokers to come uh, and move their assets over to their platform as well. So LPL says, hey, we don't have the, the cost, the sunken cost that a lot of these other big firms do, so we can afford to pay them this well. And this is what they deserve to be paid well. So it's going to be interesting to see if they get any traction in the marketplace with it. What's the ripple effect of this? I mean, who who responds to this? What other what other companies out there are going to have to react? That's a great question. I think we're going to have to see if LPL gets any traction with this thing first. Um, They say that they're going to have they're committing to office space in uh, major uh, metropolitan areas in downtowns, major metropolitan areas. Of course, right now with the COVID, it's very, there's been a slump in recruiting. So they're launching it not in an, at the most opportune time in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, they've invested heavily in this. The guy who's leading this charge has been with them for over uh, almost two years now. His name is Rich Steinmeier. He's their head of recruiting. And uh, he's a former veteran of, you guessed it, the wirehouses, UBS and Merrill Lynch. So he's very well. Right. I think you've spoken with Rich before, right? Yeah, I think. Uh, uh, yep. So he's very he's tapped into that marketplace. He knows it very well. He knows the digital marketplace very well. And he's a young and ambitious guy. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Like I said, Raymond James has an employee broker as well as an independent broker. Uh, Stiefel Financial does. Ameriprise does. So, you know, I think it's more along the lines of LPL saying we got to continue. Our business model is to recruit brokers. Have we recruited as many brokers as we can on the independent side? We got to we got to shift to something else. Uh, We got to shift to uh, recruiting RIAs and doing custody with them. We got to shift to employee brokers. So I think it's almost like LPL trying to maneuver itself for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, well, they are a recruiting machine over there. My goodness, they bring a lot of people on board. Hundreds of people over. Yeah. Hundreds every 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 year. Well, we'll we'll keep an eye on that. It sounds like something that uh, is going to be fun to see how well they can uh, gain traction over there and what kind of a yes. I'm always interested in the impact that it's going to have on their competitors. Um and it's, you know, they're big enough yes. with, that when they move people have to pay attention. We got next on tap here the another uh, another piece of news out of Schwab TD. The uh, we're, this is interesting. Yeah, we're we're kind of uh, colloquially calling it Schwab Trade because that's uh, bringing together Schwab and E Trade, two gigantic industry custodians. Um, but I that's like one of those celebrity names. Yeah, like uh, I don't know. I don't. You, you lost me there on the celebrity names. I'm not going to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. What was J Lo and and Ben Affleck? 
Mr. <laughs> Mrs. Zaflick. <laughs> I got no idea, man. Jaflick? Jennifer. <laughs> anyway. Benefers? I think it was Benefers. All right, Jenflick. Right? Anyway, so Charles Schwab Corp and TD Ameritrade. Yes. Uh, Schwab is acquiring TD for $26 billion, expected to close later this year. The deal was announced in November of last year. Yes, we did. And a few weeks ago, we had Danny Fava on the uh, the podcast talking about her move uh, away. She's a, She was a high-profile, popular up-and-comer over there at TD. Very smart person. And yep. then just last week, Skip Schweiss, the uh, the president of the, the TD uh, Ameritrade Trust Company, resigned. TD uh, I'm sorry, Schweiss, again, uh, a popular speaker, a, a, a real, real nice guy. I mean, he's one of those guys that would always be available if you needed to talk to him about something or something like that. He had been with TD for, I think, since 2008. Uh, he is, uh, <clears throat> I think, 57 or 58 years old, so he's probably not going off to retire, although he didn't That's typical, say where though. he's going. That's typical, not to say. He announced on Twitter that that his, uh, yeah, well, he announced on Twitter that his um, right his Twitter handle was changing. He was taking the TD out of it, and he's just at Skip twice now or something like that. He's based in Colorado. He's a, an avid mountain climber and hiker and outdoorsman. And, and Aren't uh, all those guys based in Colorado or out west somewhere or something? It's hilarious. Yeah, I, I don't know. TD, they're in they're in <laughs> Jersey City and San Diego or something like that. I can't really tell where they are. They're, All the senior guys seem to be. Living yeah, that's well. And you know what? With the COVID and everybody learning how to work from home, everybody's going to be wherever they want to be. You know, that's true. That's the, the new world. Um, I don't know. if So I don't know, Skip, because uh, I never really covered that space as intently as you have, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, what does this guy bring? What did this guy rather bring to the business and, you know, what were the qualities that really made him stand out? Because you never hear anything bad, really. About no, he's, he's a he's kind of a big picture guy, uh, looks at a lot of practice management issues, stuff like right. that. Uh, like most people at TD, he's got some uh, technology chops. Uh, what's kind of interesting about this move is that he is slated to be the next president of the Financial Planning Association. That's right. Uh, that was announced in October because they always yeah. do it that way a year ahead of time. He's supposed to take over in 2021. So he's president-elect for a year, which means he's already kind of you know working his way into that position. That's how they transition over there. They make sure all the transitions are smooth, so they stretch them. But um, that was kind of controversial when it was announced in October because he, at the time, was at TD Ameritrade, one of the largest custodians in the business. And they said it's kind of, you know, he's going to work for a trade organization while having, you know, kind of straddling the line. And everybody's worried about conflicts of interest there. Uh, Then a month later, the Schwab deal was announced. And then now it's August and this, now he's leaving. But the smart money says that he's going somewhere in the industry and it's, you know, he's very likely going to go somewhere in financial services unless he goes off to run his own kind of hiking outdoorsman survivalist camp or something like that. I don't think that's the case. So it will be interesting wherever he lands, there there could be this little bit of a cloud hanging over him as far as this potential conflict that everybody's worried about with him becoming the next president of the FPA. But, but there's going to these people with the FPA. I think they overreact at times to these perceived conflicts. Again, it's my maybe my bias or prejudice for covering the brokerage industry for 20 years 
and not having as much, you know, of a relationship with the financial planners and the RIAs. But I mean, you can't do anything, <laughs> have any kind of relationship or business agreement or something. It seems without the FPA crying foul here that you're that you're conflicted. This would make Skip less conflicted, wouldn't it? Well, right. It's not the FPA that's crying foul. It's the right. it's other people in the industry saying, "How can this guy work for TD Ameritrade and be president of the FPA?" Right. Excuse me for uh, that. That's a good. The point. FPA, if they thought it was an issue, they, he wouldn't even be there. Right. Uh, but um, so anyway, it's. I mean, there's all kinds of arguments on conflicts of interest. They say. If there's a perceived conflict of interest, it should be treated like a conflict of interest. But anyway, right? It, it's just it's just more out of the Schwab trade, kind of a the news. It's the funnel. disruption. It's the disruption of the business, <coughs> right? Right. That that yeah, deal it, is it causing. Is. And and as our colleague uh, Nicole Casperson wrote about this week, the uh, Schwab has already kind of picked up uh, part of the the TD Ameritrade technology right. platform they're going to adopt and embrace and it's already kind of happening. And, and for our audience, keep it. Maybe we should have Nicole back on, you know, yeah. soon. Yeah. And, and keep an eye on our coverage. Cause we're going to do something on looking at what the, uh, what the post deal is going to look like. That's coming soon. Uh, because we, we, you know, this is, these are two big companies that most people think is going to ultimately be named Schwab something. And TD is going to be folded in and the best parts of that are going to stick around in some form. And, there's a lot of good people at, T, at TD right now that are kind of walking around like probably putting their resumes on LinkedIn because there's just too much redundancy in terms of people over there. We'll see what happens. It's a, that's a that's a continuing story. And as we tell you every time we talk about it, that thing is is unfolding. And once that closes, that you know it'll still be continuing because you don't just flip a switch and you know shut one of these big businesses down. So what I mean, how much in, how much in assets is is the custody business with those two combined? Is it a trillion and a half or something like that or two trillion? I don't know. It's huge, though. I honestly don't know. I think it's it's I thought it was closer to four. But I think that's I all know. the assets of. Yeah, that's all that includes the brokerage assets. Yeah, but they have, the, the big four are right now before merger is uh, uh, Schwab, Fidelity, TD Ameritrade and Pershing. Right. So and that's those, two those trillion. four put together are like 90% of the custody right. business or something like that. I'm just trying so, to point that out to make a point to go from the giants of TD and Ameritrade down to the pipsqueaks, which is something that I'm looking into, uh, the relationship between a giant and a pipsqueak, because a couple of months after Schwab announced that it was buying TD Ameritrade. Morgan Stanley said it was buying E-Trade, if you recall. That's right. That happened uh, right before the pandemic hit, I think, back in January, February of this year. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, James Gorman, the CEO of of Morgan Stanley, really talked up the E-Trade platform that Morgan Stanley was, was buying. Essentially, he loves the... Uh, younger customer base that E-Trade has and the great technology it has in its online platform. And he also loves the um, uh, stock plan business that it has, which matches up with something with its Solium uh, stock plan administration business it, it acquired a couple of years ago, a Canadian company that administers all these big stock plans. And that's a way to get, mm-hmm. you know, potentially high net worth clients, right? Yep. By helping them 
liquidate their private stock or it becomes an IPO. And then, you know, you you assist them with the financial plan and you get you get them those sticky assets to the platform. Uh, Maury Stanley loves that, those two things about E-Trade. But there's one part of the business that really hasn't said what it's going to do with yet. And that's the tiny custody business mm-hmm. at E-Trade, which, as you know, and you've reported on very thoroughly, is the old trust company of America, which E-Trade acquired back in 2017, I believe, 2016, 2017. Right. And it seemed like E-Trade was trying to position itself in the classic uh, mode of the discount broker with the RIA custody platform, which Schwab was the first to do, and then Fidelity, and then uh, Ameritrade, TD, uh, and then then E-Trade was going to go down that route. Trust Company of America by the people that, whom I've interviewed really invested in its technology as it was coming up, got some traction with advisors, was going to, you know, after it was acquired by E-Trade, was really supposed to benefit from E-Trade's client base, right? Mm-hmm. And move those clients who are getting wealthier over to the advisors, which is the classic referral system, which sometimes works at, with these discount brokerages and, so, and sometimes doesn't work out so well with discount yeah. brokerages. But it seems like, so what I'm reporting on right now, and we're going to publish as a cover story in a couple of weeks, is basically asking the question and trying to determine the answer to what is James Gorman going to do with E-Trade's custody business? Is he going to keep it? Is he going to open it up to Morgan Stanley's advisors? Is he just going to let it die on the vine? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So I really don't have an answer for you yet. That's just uh, as our good colleague and good friend Mark Sheff would say, that's a little curtain raiser. Uh-huh. He likes to use that phrase, curtain raiser. I love it on what we're reporting about for in, in the next couple of weeks. But one thing that stands out, though, is, you know, 10 years ago when Morgan Stanley bought Smith Barney, if you remember that deal, yeah. which was a huge transaction. They bought Smith Barney from Citigroup. The Citigroup had to get out of the retail brokerage business. It didn't want any part of it after the financial crisis and the disaster of the financial crisis. You would ne- it never would have been imaginable for a wirehouse to have an RIA custody platform as part of its um, path for advisors. But you know things have changed a lot in the past ten years, right? We've had the yeah. the failed fiduciary rule. We have Reg BI. Uh, we have more and more advisors every year leaving Wall Street, leaving Morgan Stanley and UBS and others mm-hmm. to go to an independent RA. So maybe the thinking, James Gorman and other senior executives at, at Morgan Stanley, maybe the thinking, I would say the thinking now is definitely different from what it would, would have been 10 years ago. Yeah. Does that mean there's a future uh, for the custody business at Morgan Stanley? I don't know. We'll talk more about it in two or three weeks. You got any questions about that though? What, what would what would be the the potential? I mean, what do you think about them? You think they're going to sell it off? You think they're going to? I mean, there's only two things you can do with it. They can't just let this thing linger. They either have to grow it, which we which would probably mean more acquisitions along the lines of Trust Company of America. And there is a lot of consolidation that you call them. I don't know what you call them. Was some kind of an insulting small word. But uh, I refer to them as just second tier custodians because I'm more uh, right. I'm more diplomatic than you, Bruce. We all know that. The uh, either they can grow it by more acquisitions. That's the only way you're going to grow that thing big enough and fast enough at a place like Morgan Stanley, 
or they spin it off and sell it to somebody. Well, it's twenty billion in, in in assets right now. Right, right in that ballpark. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. Morgan Stanley has one point eight trillion, I think, in assets. Mm-hmm. Well over a trillion in assets. That's not even two percent of their total assets. Would it make sense to sell it, or would it make sense? To close it down, that's what I'm in the process of, of trying to figure out and make a call on in my, in my reporting. The only thing I can tell you is that while James Gorman has definitely talked up those other two business lines that I described before from E-Trade, mm-hmm. he was asked twice about what was he going to do with the custody business on the earnings call that the company had in July about a month ago. And at one instance, he said the custody business was, quote unquote, interesting. (laughs) So (laughs) that is not a full throated uh, endorsement of anything. I mean, we were talking about pork chops before, right? If someone served you a pork chop and they said, hey, Jeff, how was that pork chop? And you said, oh, (laughs) it was interesting. (laughs) Well, I know, but the the thing about the custody business, Bruce, and you know this as well as I do, is that it plays into the independent financial advisor market. Yes. And everybody knows that's where things are going. And you can fight and be as big and bad as you want to be as a Morgan Stanley style yes. behemoth wirehouse. You know, things are heading toward independent financial advice and those independent financial advisors need custodians. Right. Do so the, 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 the way that James away. Gorman and those senior people at Morgan Stanley look at the world, as far as I'm concerned, is if the margins work, if we can get the return on the business that we want, which is like a 25 to 30 percent return, that's what they have targeted for the investment advisor rep side of the business. Uh-huh. then I think they would keep it. If the margin is less than that and custody fees are deteriorating and there is absolutely no return, we've, we're back to zero interest rates, right? For yeah, who knows how long. So you're not getting any money on the cash balances there, which is a huge part of the profitability of that business. So the way that Morgan Stanley senior team looks at each business is, is it a good business for us to be in? And is the return on equity going to be there. If the return on equity, return on investment is, is not there, mm-hmm. I I would doubt that they would, you know, want to keep something on. That's how they look at the world. Well, that's how they're supposed to look at the world because they're a publicly yes. traded company. I mean, yep. that's the reality of that line of work. But they did acquire a custodian. So yes, they did. That's why it, it has to be interesting to them. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. And and I can't wait to find out where this goes. And I'm sure your reporting will uncover that. Hey, Jeff, we got a, a segment called Open Notebook. I look forward to every week, and it's just kind of something that pops up in your mind or my mind or Stephen Lamb's mind here about what's going on in the world. You're keyed up this week about something called the Chief Everything Officer. What is that all about? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, you and I, we, we're financial journalists. We cover companies that have usually have a chief executive officer. And then you have a chief operating officer, chief investment officer, yes. chief compliance officer. That's how well, it goes, yes. We started noticing these things, these chief growth officers, chief innovation <laughs> officers, um, a chief risk officer, which might be another 
part of a chief compliance officer, a chief strategy officer. And it kind of dawned on me that, you know, if you put chief in front of pretty much anything and an officer at the end, um, you're a C-suite executive. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it kind of reminds you of, you know, years ago, it used to be the banks were famous for having 500 vice presidents. You only have one president, but you have 500 vice presidents, and then you had senior vice presidents. And it's kind of like giving everybody a trophy. Uh, or, you know, if they can't pay you more money, they give you a better title. I don't know. I mean, Bruce, if you were had one of those C-suite, what would, would you be like chief happy hour officer? No, I'd just or? be chiefy. Chiefy. Chief-y? My students used to call me chiefy back in the days <coughs> oh. when I was teaching English in the city. Yeah. One student in particular, chiefy. Yeah, he say he would he would uh, always be behind in his homework, and so he want me to uh, sign off on his paperwork for the end of the week, saying that he had done all his essays and his and his reading for my philosophy class, and he would say, "Hook me up, Chiefy." <laughs> well, that I'm I'm just I'm just you know speculating here that that person might be a chief innovation officer somewhere out there. I'm in sure the world he is today. He's ta- he was he was a talented kid. But yeah. getting back to on on point, <laughs> the whole point I thought of having all these vice presidents and the like is that those offered a route to being a partner, right? When banking and brokerage used to be much more of a partnership system because not everyone was public. This is before the gold mine of turning partnerships into public companies existed in this, you know, and that started to change in the 1980s and 1990s, most famously with Goldman going public. Right in the late in the late nineties mm-hmm. or early two thousands, so everyone could get really rich there. I've noticed this too incrementally over the years. I just think it's a way of paying people more money at the top of these companies that they're mm-hmm. coming up with all these very inventive, <laughs> yeah, titles. I don't know. I'd be the chief. Uh, I'd be the chief Manhattan writing officer. I guess you know if I was anything and you'd be the chief golf playing writing officer or something. Yeah. That, that, that just rolls trippingly (laughs) off the tongue. (laughs) I don't know. Like I said, I didn't, I don't know if it's, you know, sometimes companies give out titles when they can't give out more money. Um, or you're right. Maybe you're, you look at it more jadedly thinking, well, they give you a title so they can give you more money. Yeah. It's all about this. this, The the financial services business is all about senior executives and, and like getting paid more money, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what they do or getting more stock. That's why you're in this business, you know, Um, as well as to help advisors, you know, create their own businesses and, and the like too. It's not completely cynical. And to provide financial advice to, to millions of Americans who need it. But to support the, 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 the on the ground advisors who do that work. Right. Right. It's like I said, it's not completely cynical. There is definitely people compare <laughs> their uh, cars, you know, the, how new is your car when you get into the parking lot of the firm, right? Mm-hmm. Who's got the newest sports car? Who's got the better Jag? Uh, who's got the bigger boat? Who's got the better second house? Um, who's got the bigger, who's got more swag, you know? So that's how I look at it. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was a fun concept, and I I'd like to see how far this thing goes. Uh, so far, I'm I'm keeping my eye open for uh, where the next chief something everything officer is. And, and to our list, our listeners out there, you see anything? 
a fun like that, flag it and send it to us, please. Yeah. Give us some feedback. Let us know. Not just yes. about this, but about everything. Yes. Yes. And to that end, um, I think we're coming to a, to an end here, Jeff. Yes, we are. We've wrapped up another one. So I'd just like to say again, instead of launching on Monday the 10th, uh, this is going to be out on Wednesday the 12th. Uh, we apologize for any inconvenience for that, but due to these technical issues from the storm, we couldn't be helped. We'd just like to thank uh, our producers, Stephen Lamb, and you can find the Investment News podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Like we said before, give us some feedback. Uh, give us a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. And you can reach out to us via Twitter. Uh, Professor Benjamin's Twitter handle is at Benji Ryder. And me, Bruce Kelly, I'm at BD News Guy. Thanks a lot. And we'll be talking to you next week. <laughs>